you may sit down. And children, you gather over this way because Pastor Diana is going to talk to you. Now, older kids, I'm over teens, here. if you want to bow out now, you can. But, uh, you know, we're mainly, mainly targeting the little ones up through about fifth grade, right, Pastor I don't Diana? know. We're talking about sin. Maybe the big kids can She's talking about too. sin. Won't that be fun? <laughs> hey, kids. You know, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can, um, you can have a seat right here. What do, what do you see next to me over here? What is a, the cross? And um, who is here on Wednesday and knows what we nailed to the cross? Tommy. Um, we nailed one, a, a sin. Hmm? Yeah, we nailed one sin to the cross. That's right. Um, yeah, it's something that we wanna we wanna stop doing. And and did you notice that every single person in the room had something that they could write down? Did anybody notice that? I didn't notice that. It was a long, long line where we all lined up to put our sin up on the cross. And I'm going to actually tell you about um, a time when I did something wrong. That's what sin is. Some, uh, something I did wrong when I was a kid. Um, in our family, we knew the rules. We knew the rules, right? And one of the rules was if you'd like to paint your fingernails, you have to ask mom. Well, I decided that I was so grown up that I didn't need to ask mom. And how is she ever going to find out anyway, right? Um, So I snuck into her room, and I found the red nail polish, and I was so excited. So, you know, I I was still in her room, and I knew where she was. She was downstairs working hard in her office, and I undid the nail polish, and and it, yeah, it fell onto the carpet and went like this. Uh, oh, it was so bad. It was so, so bad. I actually, in that moment, started to cry right away because I knew I was in so, so, so much trouble, right? It was the carpet, it was nail polish, and now I'm starting to realize why mom made us ask her before we used it, right? So I quickly closed it and of course, I was thinking of all sorts of things, of ways to cover up my sin. Do you remember a story in Genesis where, where Adam and Eve did something that God had said, don't do this, and then they did it, and then they tried to cover up their mistake? It was very much like that. So I went and got the nail polish remover. Genius, right? I got this. Yeah, this is going to be totally fine. So I start to scrub, and I start to cry harder because it is not working. It is... It's permanent. It's definitely permanent. And so I decided to do something that I didn't usually do as a kid. I decided to go confess. Does anybody know what confess means? What does confess mean? She's thinking. Anybody know what confess means? Shay. Tell. I decided I'm going to go tell my mom because I knew she was going to find out it was in her room. It was on her carpet, right? Um, she is going to see it. And I thought, well, at least maybe the punishment will come down a notch because I was honest, right? That's, that's what we're told to do. So I went downstairs and I was actually holding the nail polish in my hand and I walked in and she was in their office and I, and I was crying already. And I, I said, mom, I spilled the nail polish on your carpet and I was ready for the worst, right? And she reached out, and she took the nail polish out of my little hand, and I thought, oh, here we go. It's going to be real bad because she's putting the nail polish. She put the nail polish on the desk, and she pulled me up into her lap, and she said, I'd rather have you than my carpet. 
I was dumbfounded. I really was. And I, I could not believe that she was being so kind and loving to me. And she, she held me and we both cried. And I thought, wow, the carpet is really um, a big deal today. Um, but what I want to talk to you about is we're going to go um, back to our seats in just a minute. And, and we're going to open up something called a, has anybody read that? Hymnal. Now, um, back when I was growing up, there weren't these big things. We, this, is, this is how we got all of our music out of here. But also, in the back, there's this um, part, part where they have different confessions. And we're actually going to read one of these confessions right out of here. So you could read it out of here, but it'll be on the big screen too. But I want you to be thinking about when we, do, when we read the confession together today, you can be thinking about, that's something that I need to confess to God, something that I have done wrong, and that I need forgiveness. Now, my mom forgave me that day, and that's what God does. He forgives us of our sin. And so one of the verses that we're going to read here, it says, if we confess our sins, what does it mean to confess? To tell. To tell. Yeah, to tell the person or God what we did wrong, right? And then it says, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins. That's awesome. That's basically what my mom did that day. She forgave me. So I'm going to pray, and then you're going to go back to your seats and see if you can find it in the hymnal. There's a hymnal right in your seat, and we're going to do it at 9.05, okay? I'll pray, and then you'll, you'll go, and then I'll stand up here, and we'll all read it together. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God who forgives us when we've done wrong. We ask, Lord, that today we would become very aware of that huge gift that that is to us. Thanks for this morning and for all these kids and for um, going to the cross and dying for our sin. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so this is the Confession 905 found in your hymnal or up on the screen as well. Let's read this together. Is everybody ready? Got your finger on the first word? Here we go. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and the word has no place in our lives. Amen. I'm glad you all got to hear my idyllic childhood, Um, but it usually went down more like something in Genesis, like this, Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it, and the Lord God commanded them, "You you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of good and knowledge, of good and evil, and you... When you eat from it, you will surely die. Like, we knew if we broke the rules, we were in trouble. We knew what the rules were. But that day, I felt more like Psalm 32 that we we read together. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The whole story behind my mother's words that day, the day without punishment as I remember it, 
was that my little friend had died that day of cancer. And my mom had just found out and she wasn't sure how she was going to tell me. Which leads me to what I want to talk about today, that this is a broken world that we live in. It's not just the sin that God came to redeem. He came to redeem this whole broken world when he died on the cross. When Christ came, he came to heal the sick and to lift up, lift up the oppressed. Now, as Pastor Scott talked about at the beginning of this service, that we, were learning, we are going to be learning together how to bless those around us, bless those who are living in this broken world with us. Jesus is the only one that can bring full redemption in our lives. And we want to teach and tell and talk to our friends and bless them so that they can experience the healing love of Jesus Christ. On Thursday, I was out at Covenant offices, out where Megan works, and I was hearing from Tim Sacconi, who's in charge of all youth ministry in the Covenant. And he was talking to us about the four main generations that are now walking the earth. So he talked about the boomers, 1943 through 1960, the Xers, Generation X, that's May, 1961 through 1981, the millennials, 1982 to 1995-ish, and the newest generation, Generation Z. As he was talking, I started to understand why we don't understand each other very much. (laughs) And the more he talked, the more I realized why this blessed material is truly going to be a blessing to all of us in this room who represent a very diverse crowd. We are very multi-generational in this church. Even your staff has all generations represented on it, which is a beautiful thing. This room is full of all these generations now the first part of blessing, or the first part about the bless is that we're going to pray. And someone very astutely said, how does pray begin with B? Begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. So next week you're going to be challenged to be thinking about three to five people that you want to begin to pray for. Now everyone in this room can be praying for someone. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. Even little littles can be taught and learn, be learning how to pray through, with their parents. The second thing we're going to be called to do is to listen. And as Tim was speaking this week, I felt like there was something interesting about what he was saying. There's a different question that each generation asks, which means we're going to have to be learning how to ask the right questions when we are listening to people. Now, none of these generations, one is better than the other, so I want to be clear. This is just so that we can understand one another, that we talk about things. When Tim started to talk, he said that the boomers will ask the question, what is truth? Okay? Okay? Us Gen Xers, we might say, well, that's great, but what's real? We don't, we don't want any of this fake memorized stuff, right? What's real? 
That's where um, reality TV, uh uh-huh, you're welcome. (coughs) And then the millennial generation, their question is, what is good? What is good? Now, all of these are great questions, and they actually can inform the way that we end up sharing the gospel. It's actually very, very helpful information to have as you're talking to these different generations. Now, it's not across the board, and it doesn't solve everything, but it helps to be thinking this way. Gen Xers will want to share authentically about their life, whereas maybe a boomer will want, want to know this is exactly the four spiritual laws, right? Here's the, here's the truth. The millennial generation will want to show you that they are loving you and caring for you. Now, Generation Z, these are, this is the group of people who have always been able to touch a phone, even when they were really little. They could touch a phone and they could, I mean, I remember my niece at two years old doing the swipe and I had no idea how she had learned how to do it. But here's, they, we haven't figured out the question yet for Generation Z, but they make decisions within eight seconds. Eight seconds. After eight seconds, they'll be very loyal, but it's an eight-second decision. So when we share the gospel, we have to be aware that they're deciding in eight seconds or not. So just think about Instagram for a second. You go like this, and then you double-click if you like it, and you move on, right? It's not even eight seconds, right? Okay. Puts a little bit of pressure on the first impressions, huh? So sharing the gospel with all of our peers should be easy for these next five weeks, right? Now that I've given you all this information, no problem, no. But the blessed material will help us walk through this. Back in the day, I used to think it was easy. You tell them about heaven and hell and they make a decision, right? The process was very clear. But now the the process doesn't seem quite as clear because... The the boomers are looking for what is true, and the Generation X are looking for what is real or genuine, and the millennials are looking for what's good. And Generation Z, we're still trying to figure out what's relevant to them. It's not an easy task when we think about all the people that are out there who need to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. But I thought of three things that I think all of us can agree on. Number one, the world is broken and needs healing. I think we can all agree with that. Number two, we all want to be a part of the healing process. Now, some of us don't care as much, but I think we all want to be a part of the healing process. If you love Jesus and you're you're at church, you're usually like, yeah, I can say I'd like to be a part of the healing process. And then number three, and is most important for us, is we cannot do it alone. We must do it in community. Now, this week I was teaching in the women's Bible study group, and we we started talking about this brokenness that exists in the world. And someone brought up the issue of, what about someone who's lost a child? And the thing that we realized is that no matter what, we don't know how anybody gets through any sort of life without Jesus. But we know him. We know that he fills that brokenness. He's the one that can heal But then we also came to this place of realization that Jesus wants to redeem all things. He hates 
when there is a child that dies. He hates abuse and heartache in the world, which is exactly why he came and died on the cross, which is why he came to the world at all. He is still in the redeeming process. He still wants to redeem his people. To the boomers, he still wants them to know the truth, as well as the rest of us. For the Generation Xers, he wants us to experience real redemption in our lives, just like he wants for the rest of us. For the Millennials, he does want us to be a part of fixing this broken world. And believe it or not, Jesus Christ is willing and wanting to break through in eight seconds. He wants to. Jesus wants to redeem every broken story for his good and his glory. Now, it'll be hard for some of us to know how our friends are broken in need of God, but, but that is why we're beginning with prayer. We are asking God to show up. We are asking God to show them what they need to see. We're asking God to show us what they need. After we start to pray for our friends, then we're going to try and listen. We're going to listen to see if we can hear what's broken, what God might want to heal in their lives. Not that we humans can fix it, but we can be his hands and his feet here on earth. This weekend there's a, a, a group of people, seven people, who are learning to be caregivers through Stephen Ministry. They are waiting and willing to be open to these kinds of opportunities. What they are learning is that they can be caregivers so that people can experience Jesus, the cure giver. My little friend that died that day was named Kenyon. And I can say I wish that I knew where my, my friend's family lived today. Because I would love to be a part of their redemption story. I would love to tell them that story of how my mom told me about his death that day. That moment is embedded in my life forever. I will never forget that moment when my mother forgave me and pulled me up into her lap. The grace that she extended to me and showed me and told me how much she loved me even more than the brown carpet. Of course it's brown carpet. We had four children. Would it have solved everything in that family's life to hear this story? Of course not. But it might offer a little bit of a healing salve to know that another broken family was receiving some healing. God used that moment of brokenness in another family to allow another family to be healed. The word of God is very clear about sin. If we sin, we die, as it says in Genesis. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And Pastor Scott will get to the free gift part. 
Sin not only hurts relationship between you and God, but it also hurts relationships between each other. This world is broken. And this Lent season, we have the opportunity to bless those around us. May this season be a time of unity between all of us here in this room as we seek to bless the different generations around us, as we seek to bless others. Now, as we walk through this acronym, I want you to think about for a moment how this will impact each generation differently. The whole process is about understanding people. So even if someone's not in your generation, you can still seek to pray for them and listen to them and understand them. It's a way to love them. This week, you can be thinking about those people that God is putting on your heart that you need to be praying for. Because next week, you'll be writing them down. Think about that person that needs Jesus. Why do we need Jesus? Because we live in a broken world that he came to save. Jesus is the only one that is the full cure for brokenness. If we don't believe this, then knowing the truth and feeling it in the reality and doing good things and whatever happens in eight seconds doesn't matter. We have to believe that Jesus is the cure. A few weeks ago, a college student from this church gave me a call. He was interviewing me for his class in leadership. He had to interview someone who he grew up with who was in leadership around him. And one of his questions took me all the way back to the beginning of my call. He said, how did you choose the right major to be in the job that you are now? And as I rewound that story in my head, I remember myself standing in a room with a bunch of third graders. I was doing my student teaching, and I had this awful feeling inside. I will not be allowed to tell these children about the most important thing in the whole world, the most important thing of all eternity, and that's Jesus Christ. And as I walked from Hibbard back to North Park, I thought to myself, I got to change my major and I got to do it now. I went to see my advisor that day, tears in my eyes, and I said, I have to change my major. She was not real pleased with me. But it reminded me of two things as I had this conversation with this young man. It reminded me that it's all about Jesus, it will always be about Jesus, and that it, it will never change. And the second thing is, it's urgent. This is not something that we can wait around for. This is not something that I can be like, well, hopefully someone else will tell them about Jesus. Someone else's job. It is our job. We need to tell people about who Jesus is and that he is the caregiver. Everyone needs Jesus. That's why there is an urgency And in our natural, sinful, and broken condition, we are far from God. We're going to use that expression here as we talk about praying for people, people who are far from God, separated from the life and purpose he wants for us. 
But in the grace gift of Jesus, God invites us back to himself. Diana made reference to the story in Genesis of the fall and the origins of that separation of God from uh, separation from God, Adam and Eve in the garden, choosing to obey, choosing to ignore, choosing to go their own way instead of God's way, choosing to do life without God. That's what sin is, really, and what they did. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, picks up on what happened in the garden, and he points the answer in Jesus. I want to read for you from Romans 5, verses 12 through 19, but I'm going to read from the message version because there's some ways that Eugene Peterson, the translator, uh, says it that I think might be helpful for us. Listen for the theme of separation being far from God. Listen to this theme of separation as well as listen for this theme of the life gift of Jesus. You know the story of how Adam landed us in this dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone, but the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses, the law. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of this. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing gift. If one man's sin put crowds of people as the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through the one man Jesus Christ will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery that life makes, sovereign life, in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right, that the one man, Jesus Christ, provides. Here it is in a nutshell, he says. Just as one person did it wrong and got us into all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. Isn't that great? Here it is in a nutshell. In Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. One, Adam's one sin, his one act of rebellion infected all people. And it's not so much an inherited characteristic or, a, or something that biologically happens to us, but because of the interconnectedness of people all the way from Adam and Eve to us, this interconnectedness of people, it just became woven into who we are in, in our relating with one another. All down through the ages, this living life on our own, this living far from God, has led to the brokenness and pain that is all too common in the human experience. But the good news is is that God never stopped loving us. God never stopped, I get to use my favorite verb here, God never stopped wooing us. God woos us in Jesus all the way through. Jesus, in Jesus, God wants to extend this gift of grace and forgiveness. In Jesus, we find our way back to God, back into the fulfilling and meaningful life he intends all along. In Adam was sin and death. In Jesus is grace and life. 
In Adam was sin and death. In Jesus is grace and life. And I love Paul, how Paul here says how much greater the gift is than the consequence of the sin. Grace is far more powerful than sin and death. Grace overpowers and heals and makes new. Or we can say this, God's grace is infinitely greater for good than Adam's sin is for evil. Grace wins. Grace is more powerful than sin. I want to look at the grace. I'm going to put this passage side by side with the NIV. Here it is in the message version where it, I said it. If dead got the other upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine this? And it says, in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift. Now, I, put up, I want to put the NIV up there now because Eugene Peterson doesn't use the word grace, and I love the word grace so much, but look at how he describes it here. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace? Receive God's abundant provision of grace. That's Peterson saying, grasping with two hands this wildly extravagant life gift and reign in life with him. No one was touched more by this overabundance of grace than the Apostle Paul himself. He calls himself the chief of sinners. See, it weighs heavily on Paul that before God called him to this ministry, he had actually been a persecutor of Christians. He was one who had worked his way up, and he was a, he was a Pharisee, a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, he passed all the tests. He kept all the laws. He was a man of great pride. And yet he was broken from that and then brought to this incredible gift. But Paul knew from experience what he was writing about. He insisted and continued to insist that he was the chief of sinners, the least of the apostles. He even felt deeply that he was not even worthy to be called an apostle. And he was overwhelmed that he should be entrusted with the gospel. And he attributed this high calling given to him to grace alone. Grace alone. Grace being that free gift of grace. Grace being the unmerited favor of God, which means we cannot win it. We cannot earn it. We cannot prove to God how good we are in order to get that grace. It's simply a gift. The gift that Nancy Ellen Temple gave to her daughter Diana when she felt broken and hurt to the sin that she'd happened. You didn't deserve that grace, did you? But grace comes, and that's the way it comes to us in Jesus. I'm amazed at the graces that have flowed into my own life as well. Undeserved favor and second chances that, I didn't, that weren't for me, I didn't think. The gracious healing of God in some painful corners of my life. And one of the great joys of being a pastor is to watch grace at work in others. Isn't that fun? To see grace working in the life of another. People need the blessing of this grace. People need this hope. People need a chance at real life. Good life, true life. (laughs) This possibility of healing and putting things right. And it's available in Jesus. People need Jesus. We can't draw back from that. One thing that struck me about this passage is that the sin and death and separation that came in Adam, we have no choice. We have no control over that. It's the condition we are given. It's the condition that we live in, far from God. But grace and life are a choice. God extends His gracious offer in Jesus, but we need to choose to accept it. And I love how Eugene Peterson speaks of this choice again in his translation of Romans 8. Can you imagine the breathtaking recovery that life makes, sovereign life, in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man Jesus Christ provides? 
And you know what? Today, we have the chance to grasp with both hands the wildly extravagant life gift that comes to us in the elements of the Lord's Supper. We get to receive it today, literally grab it. Don't don't grab it out of the hands of the person sharing it with you, but you, you get my point, right? We get to grab it and say, this is the blessing of grace. This is the love of God for me. But as we do it here at this beginning of this journey on Lent, let us ask God to make us aware of who in our life is far from God and needs to know this grace. What friends, what relatives, what acquaintances, what neighbors, what co-workers, who does God want to bless through us? Communion today is part of our getting ready to bless others. So we grasp with both hands the wildly extravagant life gift. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reality of your grace. We thank you for the answers there are to the brokenness that's in this world. They don't come easy, and they don't come simply, and they're not all kind and sweet. But we know that they are wrapped up in your power, God, and in your grace, Jesus. Meet us as we share your supper now, we pray. Amen.